If, if you guys uh, are new or visiting today, uh, we've been walking through the, the book of Ephesians. We're going to be there again this morning. So if you want to uh, follow along with us in your copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, that's where we're going to be, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 17 through chapter 5. Now, um, we're covering a little bit more this morning than maybe what I originally intended. And... Uh, but, 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 but we'll be able to get through it. So Ephesians chapter 4. Um, here's what I want to talk to you about this morning. So you're a Christian, right? Now what? Uh, I, if you uh, got the text that I sent out, or if you are a fan on Facebook of our page and you saw that we posted that, so you're a Christian, now what? What happens after salvation? And so the question that Paul's going to talk about today that I want to talk to you about is, is, is what's new? There's an old saying, and it goes like this, when in Rome, right? So when in Rome, do as the Romans do. And what that saying means is, you know, when, when you're in an environment with other people doing other things, just conform, right? And, and so there's a certain level of that which we, we have to do, right? So to be in a society of functioning people, we, we have to conform to a certain degree. For example, when I was in the military, uh, there was a certain dress code that I had to wear, right? You just, you just had to wear your uniform. And out in civilian life, I could wear whatever I want. They call that civvies, right? Uh, also, unfortunately, in my life, when I was in jail for a short period of time, there was a certain outfit I had to wear there as well. And, uh, and then when I got out, I got to put on the clothes that I wanted to wear. Perhaps you've heard another term. It's called being a defector. And what that term means is the opposite of when in Rome. What that term means is that you're going to do the opposite, and so some of my favorite movies have people who are defectors in them for good reason, right? Uh, one of the most famous kind of defector categories that I, I think of is, is somebody like James Bond, right? 007. He always looks like something else, but he's really, he never gives up on his real identity, which is the ultimate 007 spy, right? He, he might be a, a, a double triple, quadruple agent even sometimes in some of the movies, but he always stays true to what, Many Penny or whoever? I don't know. I don't know all my James Bond movies, but he is who he is, and he doesn't change, even though he looks that way to others. And then other movies, you have actual defectors. Recently, I was watching uh, one of the Marvel movies, and you had somebody who switched sides. So they were going against what they had originally went for. And today, that's what Paul's going to talk about. He's going to use both of these terms, not when in Rome, because he's in prison in Rome. But for us, when in the family of God, do as those in the family of God do. And then the other thing that he's going to say in the same kind of context here is, is that we are to be a defector. A defector from the family and the lifestyle that we used to live. And we're going to defect to the family of God. And so maybe for some of you, you've been saved for a long time. Maybe for some of you, maybe you're not even sure if you're saved yet. We're going to talk about that today, and Paul's going to take theology then and have theology, the, the practice and the study of the things of God, he's going to have us take that with the rubber, is going to meet the road, and we're going to talk about what's new, this outward expression of an inward change. And so before we get into God's word, will you join with me in prayer? God, our Father in heaven, we do thank you for our time together. 
We ask that you would help us because we know that as Paul has said and as he is going to say and as he is going to then continue to write in his other letters that it is by grace we are saved through faith. It is not anything that we can boast in. It's a gift from you. Jesus himself told us that he is the vine, we are the branches. And so God, we know that this change must happen through you, by you, for you, to you. And so we ask that today you might help each of us along our journeys to live out this theology. In effect, God, we pray that you would help us practice what we preach. It's in your name we ask this. Amen. And so I want to start this section, Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 19. I want to read that with you if you'll read along with me. And then I have a, a question to start. So this is how he says, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, this is a very easy situation for us to look at and see, ah, see those bad guys over there. Thank the Lord that I'm not like those bad guys over there. But this is a a question I want to ask you. Why did or do we behave like we did or do? Because I don't know, if, if you're anything like me, there are still vestigers of this old man inside of me. There are still vestigers. There are still holdovers. There are still places in my heart where I need for God to make a change. And so as we see in Ephesians 4, is very similar to, so if you're a note taker, write this down, Romans 1, 18 through 32. And so if you have a, a Bible that has cross references in it, you, that they might already have that for you. But Romans 1, 18 through 32 is very much like this section. And what Paul is saying is here is, is uh, listen, our natural minds are futile and they're dark. And so there's, there's a level of knowledge that people have, and Romans talks about this, Ephesians touches on this some, and he's talked about this before, that before we were saved, we, we were dead in our trespasses. We did not know what was right or what was wrong, and in fact, some of the things that we thought were okay were actually sin. And we were slaves to those things, it says. We weren't even free to make that choice. And so to answer, answer this question, why Did we behave like we did? Or why do we still behave like that if if we haven't seen a change in their life? It's because our our fetal minds are dark and we need enlightenment. Not the kind of enlightenment, though, that, you know, Plato, Aristotle, philosophers kind of think about. Not some kind of a Gnostic, deeper understanding, necessarily. See, what Paul says here in this text is that our futile minds, like in Matthew eleven twenty five, says, uh, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. <clears throat> you see, the futileness of our minds is because of a spiritual issue. It's not lack of knowledge. That is why I think it's imperative for us to practice what we preach there's a, uh, I think it's on Netflix or something, there's a special out right now about a, a church that has had issues in the past and, and they're kind of, it's kind of being exposed to the media. And we see that from time to time. We see that with different uh, writers or speakers, um, preachers, um, 
politicians, and we see that their secret life kind of comes out and then all is revealed, and we see the kind of dark things that happen in their world. And it's probably not because they didn't have some kind of wisdom. But they didn't have the renewed wisdom that matters. That's what Jesus is talking about in 11.25. These Pharisees, these Sadducees, these people of the book had all of the head knowledge. They could tell you all of the Mosaic law. Remember what Paul says in Ephesians a little earlier. Well, that he is the, wor- the worst of all these. He says in a, a different place, you, you know, like, I'm a, I'm a Pharisee among Pharisees. You show me a, a good Jew and I'll show you the things that I've done. I studied in, you know, under, I think it was Gamaliel. And so he is above all these other things. And yet, it was not until the road of Damascus that his futile and dark mind was enlightened because it's really due to our hard hearts. That's the condition that he's talking about here. He says that they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to what, as it says there in verse 18, the hardness of their heart. This term, hardness of heart, I want to read to you a quote. This, this word is used as uh, porosis. It is a derivative, and a historic, historically, uh, this, this author, Armitage Robinson, supplies a long additional note. He says, poros, which is the root, was a kind of marble, or in medical writers, a callus, or a bony formation over the joints. Hence the verb, poron, uh, means to petrify something, to become hard and therefore insensible. And even when transformed from the organs or feeling from an organ to sight, it means blindness. And so the picture here that Paul is painting is that uh, because of our futile minds, we have calloused ourselves to our consciences. 1 Timothy 4, 2 says, Throw the insincerity of liars, those consciences are seared. I don't know who the writer of this song was. I know that you're probably going to know it if you're above a certain age range. But in the summer of 69, right? I bought a six string and I played until my fingers bled in the summer of 69. I don't know who sings that. Brian Adams sings it. Thank you, brother. So, so, but, but here's my point. So I, I have a guitar. And I remember learning to play. And my fingers hurt severely. I didn't play until my fingers bled because I'm, I'm not, you know, crazy. Uh, but I have a son who plays guitar. His fingers hurt. And, and I've explained to him, listen, for you to get to a place where you can actually play through a song and, and play for any period of time, you have to, you just have to build up calluses on your fingertips. Am I right, worship leaders? Like, there, be, there, there, there is a level of uncomfortability in something until eventually it becomes natural. And, you know, you've heard the terminology, my dad used to tell me this all the time, or my coaches, practice makes perfect. Well, this is the negative example of that. When we continue to do things that are against God, our consciences become seared and hardened. Our hearts grow calluses on them. And you see that that prodding of the Holy Spirit where he kind of speaks into us in that still small voice where our conscience will tell us that what we're doing is wrong when we don't listen to that, when we don't repent, when we don't give that over, it allows our hearts to become hardened and then it, it cannot penetrate anymore. 
And actually, what Scripture talks about in Romans is that when we get to that place, God eventually, and I pray that this is not the case for any of us in this room or any of us listening, eventually God will say, okay, I've tried and I've tried and you don't want me, so, I, so guess what? I'm going to give you over to that which it is that you seem to want more than me. And whatever that is, then that becomes their God. That becomes what they worship. That becomes what they live for. And they only become more of a slave to that thing. And so to answer this question, why did we do, or why did we behave like we did? It's because we thought what we thought. It's because we want what we want. So every year, uh, I, I go down to this biblical counseling conference. This last year, because of COVID and all those other things, we, we chose to do a live stream uh, version of that where, where we were able to, to view that together. Uh, Drew and myself, we, we did that. And I don't know if you're picking up on this phrase that I'm using right now, but we, we do what we do because we want what we want. We do what we do because we think how we think. And Paul is telling us this. And he's also, he's talking to, now remember, this letter is written not to just these regular Gentiles. This letter is written to those who before he has said, those of you who are saints in Ephesus, those of you who are who already redeemed by Christ in Ephesus, those who are this body of the church in Ephesus, he says in verse 17, now I say and I testify in the Lord. So he's saying, this is another way Paul says like, listen, the things I'm about to tell you, this is true, this is good, this is right, you need to listen to this. And then he says that you must no longer walk as these Gentiles do. That you must no longer walk as these pagans have done. That you must turn from that old lifestyle. Remember, Ephesus was this huge city with a a huge amphitheater, and they were the the spice road, and they were the silk road, and they were the trade route. Remember, they were the bank to all of Europe and, and, and Asia and all this area. And so all this money and this wealth and this entertainment flowed through Ephesus. And what Paul is saying there is, when you become a Christian, you have to turn away from that previous life. But brothers and sisters, even where we are right now, we sometimes find ourselves living as the Gentiles do. We sometimes find ourselves practicing, hopefully to a lesser degree because of the sanctification process. And, and I just want to pause just for a minute and say this. If you're brand new to this whole Christianity thing, nobody in this room is perfect. Everybody in this room, just like you, if, if you're brand new to this whole thing, everybody just like you just, I hope, felt conviction over this and saying, yeah, I've got some things that I need to clean up in my life that I continue to do that I need to stop doing because that's in futility. And so you're not alone. We all feel that way. We all should feel that way because none of us has aspired to Christ-likeness in its fullness of what Paul has prayed for just previously. But this is why. And so brothers and sisters, when you look out things like the media, when you see politicians, when you see people who are out there and you, and you think to yourself, how, what in the world, how, why are they acting the way that they're acting? This is why. Because their futile minds are dark. Their hearts are hard because of the ignorance that is in them. They have become callous. And so therefore, it says in, in 19, they have given themselves up to the sensuality, greedy practice of every kind of impurity. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and Ephesians 2, 11 through 12, I want to read those to you, because all of this, remember, Paul is making this argument, and we take it week by week, so we forget. How this really should go is every single week, as we're studying through Ephesians, we should just read the entire book of Ephesians altogether. But unfortunately, in our sinfulness, we would all get bored with that, right? And that should also tell us something about our hearts. But Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, it says, and we were dead in our trespasses and sin in which we once walked. 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's how the Gentiles walk, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Therefore, he says in 11 and 12, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And that's how the Gentiles walk. So then the next question is going to be answered here in this section. So read along with me in verses 20 through 24. But... So you shouldn't live that life anymore. You shouldn't walk that way anymore. That's not you anymore. But, he says, this is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so the first thing was, okay, so why do we act the way we act, or why did we act the way we act? Why do we behave that way? And then this is the next part. So what can possibly change that? Because remember before he said, you Gentiles, you are without God, without hope in the world. But here he says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Jesus is the only way that this can change. If you have an addiction problem, Jesus is the only one that can fix that. If you have a depression problem, an anxiety problem, Jesus is the only one that can fix that. I mean, ultimately fix that. If you have an anger problem, if you have a marriage problem, if, if you have a, just if you have a problem, okay, Jesus is the only one that can fix that. He's the only one that can change this. And Paul tells us that he does this by spiritual renewal in us. He says here, this is not the way you learned Christ. He uses three terms here. He uses learned, he uses heard, he uses taught. Paul understands that Jesus is the only thing that can change us. He says not only is Jesus the teacher... Jesus is the message, and Jesus is the school in which we are learning this message of this person who is Jesus. He says the truth is in Jesus. Also, I need for you to understand that what Paul is saying is here, here is, is not just try better, uh, work harder, um, you know, get your bootstraps, pull yourself up, and, and let's get this thing. And so I want you to hear me this morning. That's not what I'm saying either. What needs to happen is a spiritual renewal. In the, in the terms here, it looks like future tense, okay? It looks like uh, to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, is corrupt, and to put on the new self. And so, yes, that is something we participate in daily, but also this is something, as what was already said, that is a free gift to us. It's nothing that we can do, so it's nothing that we can boast in. You see, the old is dead, and the new you is born. That's already taken place in Christ Jesus. Because that's how we've learned Christ. 
That's what we've heard about him. That's what I seek to teach us about him. That's what I've been taught about him. But if left to myself, I go back to that same old life. The things I used to do are the things I still want to do apart from Christ. And it's only in Christ that we have freedom. It's only in Christ that can possibly change us. I have to be reminded daily, just as you need to be reminded daily, just as these Gentiles in Ephesus needed to be reminded daily by people like Paul and whoever was the elders and the teachers of their time, because they all had these spiritual gifts of edification for one another, right? And so they are reminding one another daily to put off this old self, which belongs to this former manner of life. It is this idea of Lazarus being raised from the dead, coming out and telling everybody, no, y'all, I prefer it in the tomb. And then he goes back in. See, this change is one that happens inwardly, but one that is seen outwardly. And so our society likes to use these terms by like, well, you can't judge me. So nobody but God can judge me. But we are told in Scripture that we ought to be able to look at one another's lives and see the fruit of change. That it is right... Like, if this summer, if I'm out working on the lawnmower, changing the blades to the lawnmower, and you happen to walk up as I, the wrench slips and I skin my knuckles, what do you expect me to do? Do you expect, yeah, maybe, right? Here, I'm just going to be totally honest with you, though. If I cussed and threw that wrench down, Every single one of you in here would judge me immediately and you'd be like, aren't you the preacher? And it would not be wrong for you to think that way, right? Because ought I not practice what I preach? Ought you not to expect some kind of level of spiritual maturity? Ought you not, as we're going to talk about in just a minute, shouldn't I be able to control my anger as Paul has asked me to? But at the same time, aren't I also human just like you? And so, and so just think about what that tells us about our own hearts and our own selves. And Like, you assume that somehow, just because I'm a pastor, I'm going to have more spiritual maturity than you, and, and maybe I should, but also, should I not assume the same of you if you call yourself a Christian at all? Because it says here that these inward changes should bear fruit outwardly. He says, you put on your new clothes. Well, like that lady just talked about today, when we get mud and dirt and stuff all over us. I was talking with somebody the other day. When you're out working in, in, in the fields or in the garden or whatever it is that you do, we probably all experience this to some degree. Your old grubby tennis shoes. Everybody got a pair of old grubby work tennis shoes or something like that. That's, they've got holes and stuff in them, but they keep your feet covered, so you keep them around for the things that you don't ever really want to do, right? And so you're out wearing those kind of tennis shoes all day long, and you've got your socks on, of course, because you're not a, a, a Neanderthal, you know, most of us, right? Uh, but anyway, and so you come in from after working all day, and, and what's the, one of the first things you want to do when you pull those shoes off? You pull your socks off, and you've got the grime in between your toes, right? You want to wash those things off, and so you go into the bathroom, you stick your foot in the tub, or, or if you're like my house, you do it in the kitchen sink. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. But you go into the bathroom, you stick them in the sink, and you wash your feet, and how good does that feel to wash your feet? It feels amazing, right? And then you do the same thing I do. You go right back and you put your grubby shoes on, right? Not at all. 
And so what Paul is getting at here is these inward changes are to bear fruit outwardly because this is now us. The only thing that can change us is Christ. So we ought not to live that same life, that same manner of living, that same manner of thinking even should be done away with because this is the new us. He says in Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, Ephesians 2, 13, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show what is the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and it is not your own doing as a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints who do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope with which he calls you to, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And I had to read the whole thing because it's one sentence according to Paul. And so then this is where the rubber meets the road. What does this look like practically? What does this new life look like practically? As I'm going to read, you can follow along, and Nick is going to swap the slides for us as we go through, and then we're going to cover this, okay? So what does this look like practically? Ephesians 4, 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not, not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may, have, it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Chapter 5, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And so what does this look like practically? That's what it looks like practically. And I don't know about you, but, but as I look out at America, which, by the way, is not Ephesus, I see that just simply doing these things still makes 
the body of Christ look far different. Because not a whole lot has changed, really. Humans are still sinful. We still have the same sinful desires. We still have the ability, the tendency to go and fulfill those sinful desires, whatever they might be. And the church is called to be different. And it was in Ephesus, and it is today. And so what this looks like practically, really, he gives, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six. He gives six principles then. And here's what they are. Firstly, we must put off falsehood and practice honesty. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. We are to be about the business of telling truth. Because didn't Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? How can we have Christ dwelling in us and then not be truthful? With the mouths that God gave us to edify one another, for us to give deceit. And by the way, we can be deceitful without just simply speaking, right? We can be deceitful in the things that we do. And so one of the first things that this looks like practically, what does it mean to put off and to put on? What does it mean to, to live out the glory of Christ is firstly to put off falsehood and practice honesty with one another. And by the way, honesty isn't always fun, is it? Because sometimes I need to be honestly rebuked. And sometimes you need to be honestly rebuked. And that too is part of honesty which is a good lead-in to the second one. (laughs) Put off sinful anger. So when you honestly rebuke me out of love, my response should not be sinful anger. He says in in 26 here, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Handle your accounts quickly with one another. One of the rules my wife and I have made in our marriage is that we're going to seek to practice this which means whenever I make her upset, we need to talk about it until three in the morning because we can't, we can't go to sleep. I'm just teasing. But it's good to handle these things quickly, right? And why is that? Because what happens is, is if we don't handle them quickly, they turn into things like bitterness. They turn into things like malice. They turn into things like hatred. See, anger in our lives, first of all, first of all, Be angry and don't sin. So most of the time that we get angry, most of the time, it's sinful. Most of the time I get angry is because my pride was hurt or I had an idea that somebody didn't like or because I had a preference that wasn't followed through with or some other personal, stupid, petty thing that then makes me upset because all of us, all of us naturally have the same God that sits on our heart's throne. Do you know what that God looks like? At the end of today, you can go into your bathroom, you can gaze above the sink, and you will see exactly what the God who naturally sits on your heart looks like. Because it is Christ that needs to dethrone that God, and he needs to sit there. But when I serve that God who stands over the sink and looks back at me, that's when I get angry. Most of our anger is not about actual things that, are, that would make Jesus angry. And the second part of this is, maybe we need to, as Christians, be a little bit more angry about the things that would make Jesus angry. But that's probably a different sermon. So it says here, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So instead, put off sinful anger and instead practice self-control. 
How ridiculous does it sound when my child comes to me? Hey, you hit your brother. Why'd you hit your brother? He just made me do it. He did? Your brother made you hit him? How? Well, he just made me so angry I had to do it. I yelled at my wife. Why? Because she made me so angry I had to. I mistreated somebody in the church. Why? Because they made me so angry I just had to. And we think of how foolish this sounds when a child does it, and yet, all the time, often, it is our own defense if we really look at what this is. Somebody's alarm is telling me my sermon is going over. I'm here to tell you, we're going to keep going. (laughs) So not only that, then he moves on, he says, put off greed and instead practice generosity. Look what he says, the next part there. Let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone who is in need. So this is not only the opposite of of not stealing. And by the way, scripture talks about if, if you don't work, then you shouldn't eat, right? But here it's talking about even more than that. Labor, let him labor, let him actively work by even the sweat of his brow. Let him continue to toil and to work heartily so that he can give something to someone who actually has need, a real need. And so this is a complete 180, to put off greed and instead practice generosity, to put off desiring for self and rather to seek to fulfill for someone else. Are you beginning to see how these things cannot be done by us just working harder? It is only by Christ that we can do these things. He says, put off corrupt talk and practice edification. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, as, uh, but such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And then in verse 4 of chapter 5, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which is out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. You see, even when somebody's not around, we should have no shame of how we speak of them. But oftentimes, even in churches, gossip happens. If we used our mouth for building one another up, think of the difference that would make even in your own life. So so here's my challenge for you just this week. Out of all these things, you can pick pick whichever ones you want to do. I I, I pray that you'll pick all of them and we'll, we'll try to do all of them together. But here's my personal challenge for you. This week, focus on this one. In, in fact, if you, really, if you really want to see some spiritual work happen in your own life, keep a journal. I know some of you guys are thinking, you know, journals are what little girls keep underneath their pillows, but just bear with me. Look, fine, then, 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 then keep a spiritual record. You can call it what you want to call it. It's the same thing. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building one another. Keep, keep a record. Just keep a record this week. Do a tally of your own heart. And seek to, by God's grace and your own awareness, seek to be more edificacious than you are negative. But be honest with yourself. Also on that, I, don't, I know that my work environment is far different than yours. Um, and I know a lot of times people think that preachers are like pod people. I don't know, like that we just 
popped out with a Bible in our hand and we just start and we have no worldly experience of any kind. But I'm here to tell you, I've been around the block, okay? I know how guys talk. I'm sure women talk the same way. I know you guys put on a front when guys are around, but I know you women talk very similarly too sometimes. Uh, so I've, I've worked at factories. I've worked at, you know, clothing places. I've worked at fast food. I've, I've worked at all kinds of different things because I got fired a lot before I was a Christian. And so I'm just here to tell you, I know how guys talk. And so let no foolishness nor filthy talk, corrupt, crude joking come out of your mouth. You, you know, even when we laugh at these, th- even if they're funny, I understand that people can come up with stupid, funny things and you just, but you're participating in that. Put off bitterness and unforgiveness and practice tender-hearted forgiveness. He says in verse 31, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And here's why, as God in Christ forgave you. Now, I would encourage you, if you have a chance, if, if you have um, the ability to, to look up these different words, these are all slightly different words. For us, maybe they kind of mean the same thing. But in the Greek, they're all slightly different. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. But here's the point. Put off this bitterness. We forget so often. We forget somebody's wronged me and I just said, you know, hey, they deserve whatever they've got coming to them. You know what? I, if I got what was I deserve coming to me, then I, I would go to hell. And so would you. And so how dare we, just like Jesus said, right? You, I mean, he told the parable about it, right? I mean, the, 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 the servants, the one guy had to pay like millions and billions of dollars to the king, right? And he says, well, I'm going to forgive you that debt. And then he goes out and he chokes out the other guy because he owed him like, you know, lunch money. And so put these things up, put off bitterness and unforgiveness, practice tenderhearted forgiveness. And then lastly, he, he ends with this, Put off sexual immorality and put on purity, modesty, chastity. He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Again, you got to remember Ephesus. They had a, for lack of a better term, they had a church to a deity and they would practice temple prostitution to worship this false god. And look at our society. You almost can't watch a regular TV show anymore without some kind of sexual innuendo or something. I mean, have the remote control handy, brother or sister, because something is going to pop on the the, the, the television. They can't even sell products anymore. And I know I sound like a crotchy old person, but, but, but here's the thing. We are called to be greater. We are called to be more. We are called to be different. We just sang a song that we are going to be priests along with the glory of our glorious king. Ephesians 4, 1 through 7, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every Father in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
And then he has to end with this, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Yeah. And so what Paul is saying here is this, to sum up. Paul's saying, act like Christians for God's sake and by his power as well. And so we are to be different don't put on the old grave clothes. And so that's why I began with this question. So what's new? I mean, what's new in you? From who you were before, what is new? Because all of us should be making progress. All of us should be striving to not walk in a manner we used to walk. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, it is by your power and only by your power that we even have the ability to even talk about these things, to understand these things, let alone to practice them. God, I, I pray that you would forgive us. I pray that you would forgive us for our, our lack of faith. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief, because there are things in my own heart that I think that maybe I will never have victory over, but your word tells me, your word tells us that we can and we do, because in you we are a new creation. Your word tells us that, that that old man, that old woman who we were before has now perished and we are a new man. We are a new woman in Christ. That we are now in you. And that because of what you have done, you have brought us from death to life. And you tell us not only just life, but life abundantly. And so Lord, we ask that as Paul has prayed here that you might help us. Help us to put off that old and put on the new. Help us to live in a way that so honors and glorifies you because you are worthy. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Could, since you're standing, will you go grab the junior church?